Welcome to Beer Prime, episode 22. Today, co-hosted by me, Paul Newton, and beer writer, Adrian Tierney-Jones. Hello and welcome to the episode and today's main guest is going to be Jeremy Swainson from Utopian Brewing in Devon. They're a lager only brewery and they're pushing out some absolutely amazing lagers. But before we speak to Jeremy, I first want to welcome my co-host and I'm absolutely delighted that he's able to join me today. Adrian is a journalist specializing in beer, travel, pubs and food was the Beer Writer of the Year 2017, the National Media Beer Writer winner in 2019, and has written a fair few books. Welcome, Adrian. Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure to have you. And uh, later on, we're going to be speaking with Jeremy from Utopian, and we'll be also sampling a few of their great lagers as well. First of all, and as I usually do on the podcast, I go over some latest things in beer news so it's a great idea to just have a chat with Adrian about them and also get some other kind of uh, perspective I guess as well. Adrian would you like to start with one of your chosen subjects? Yeah I'm, I'm holding it in front of you no one else can see it but it's I got <laughs> sense um, looks like Forpure in Bermondsey have rebranded their their core range um, that's what the, the press release said and I got sent mm some of their lager and the point I try to make I mean I'm no great shakes on lager someone like Pete Brown not on lager sorry on branding uh, mm-hmm. someone like Pete Brown who wrote that excellent book on design and branding you know yeah. Pete is much better at it than me but even I sometimes can look at things and go well I'm not sure about that and I must say I'm not entirely sure about the branding what if I can explain it you've got basically a grey can with a bluish colour saying mm-hmm. for pure and then in a red banner Bermondsey Lager, light and crisp. But the thing that caught my eye was on the back. Tasting notes, aroma, lager, mouthfeel, lager, flavour notes, lager. Mm. And they just say, beer, it used to be so simple. Then came the hops and the hype. Born and brewed in Bermondsey, blah, blah, blah. So we make lager for those who just want great craft beer. Their branding sort of title's been pure and simple, hasn't it? Um, yeah. It seems incredibly simplistic when, you know, people like myself and other beer writers, we're all trying to use language to describe the many complexities of beer, whether it's a lager pale ale or uh, a Leipzig Agusa with half a greengrocer's <laughs> fruit in it. Um, yeah. And for, it feels slightly, I don't know, it feels slightly adolescent and childish just to say tasting lager, aroma lager. Yeah. Mouthfeel lager. I mean, yeah, you know. absolutely agree. I mean, the lager, lager, lager. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, just things like this, the very loutish behavior that sort of yeah. lager louts. And also, wasn't, wasn't there a song, wasn't there, that uh, wasn't that in train spotting? I can't remember the. I can't remember. Born that, Slippy. That's right. Born Slippy by Underworld. Oh, right. It's just got the refrain lager, lager, lager. Oh, so, right. Yeah, okay. it goes back to all of that, really. But you're quite yeah. right. I, I mean, I. When I look at a can of beer, I want to be educated. Um, mm. You know, I like drinking beer. I know that obviously not everybody is like that as well, but I like to have a look on the back and I like to be, I like to be seeing what, what it is I should be getting. Of course, you know, I like to, to have a taste of it first and see what I can get, you know, blind. 
but then have a look at the tasting notes. And if I'm just getting that it tastes like lager, smells like lager, it's not giving me a great deal. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I think the other thing though, yeah, pubs, remember them? Um, yeah. and, and maybe, you know, the idea is just a refreshing, crisp, quenching drink. The family of lager beers has such a variety of tastes, as you'd know, drinking the Utopian beers. Um, yes, indeed. And, but it, it just feels... Yeah, there's a word that's... I'm struggling for a word in my head, it, it, but and I, it'll probably pop up just as we're finishing or something. But it just feels like it's it's diminishing the communication the words on a can has with the consumer. I'm sort of judging a craft beer marketing wards in the States at the moment. You know, I've got... I'm looking at cans and I'm having to... I'm doing about two or three a day because I've got a bit of time to do it in. And mm. it's opened my eyes to the way some... Just how some breweries think they've got it right. And to me, I don't think they have, you know. And I, God knows how much money was spent in doing this rebrand. And I'm sure, sure they'll be, you know, well, they probably wouldn't care what I have to say. But um, <laughs> I just feel it's difficult with this branding game as well though so you know yeah i just feel that this i mean and i haven't seen the pale ale can or the the uh, session ipa can so i don't know if they've just put tasty notes aroma pale ale you know and uh, yeah i i hope not i hope maybe it just is a lager thing maybe they're just trying to as you said before just say that it's a uh, you know, it's a characteristic of, of every good lager, and that's the way to to enjoy it. Yeah, it infantilizes the language of beer. That's what yeah. I was looking for. Yeah, it, it really infantilizes it. It's 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 almost like the pastry stout equivalent of language. It feels sometimes in beer in general, current modern beer, there is this infantilization of stuff. You know, you see it on Instagram where you have a beer that looks like a bloody kiwi and spinach smoothie and you yeah. know and 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 seems to have the texture of super glue yeah that's that is my um that's my take on it right <laughs> we mentioned anchor earlier on there was a bit of a, yeah. a ferrari well i don't know ferrari is the right, right word but there was some because they rebranded recently as well didn't they that's right yeah and i'm trying to remember i mean did they get rid of the anchor um because um was... i don't know if they got rid of the anchor but i think it's more of a kind of uh simplistic cartoonish drawing of it now that's, rather than yes it i remember now it looked like the anchor that popoy pop pop <laughs> yeah. on his arm yeah you know it looked like a sailor's tattoo yeah like children's cartoon so maybe I, again it's like i don't know they they have to, to to get all this branding they have to do a lot of um what do you call it Focus groups and all that kind of That's thing. It, focus groups I was thinking yeah. about. And so maybe the message that's coming through is we need something simpler. We don't need, you know, Michael Jackson's, one of Michael Jackson's book on, books on the back of a can. Yeah. Um, maybe we just need, you know, um, three words. But yeah, it just feels, it feels like they're taking the piss, if you don't mind me swearing on there. Not at know. all, not at all. It, Go for it. It really <laughs> feels, it feels like, you know, and the other thing then, it's like, well, if you think your lager is just lager, do you actually care about what's in the can? Well, I mean, I, I suppose uh, another argument would be that there are other brands out there that are very minimal. And Union, um, mm. uh, the Colonel, very, yeah. very minimal. Oh, Colonel, well. So yeah. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I agree with you that I think that I, I personally do prefer there to be more information on the can, mm. but uh, perhaps the focus groups have actually have actually come to that conclusion you know yeah. well there's another example here of a lager um i don't know if you've seen it north brewing oh north yes 
Yeah, Springwell, which is absolutely beautiful beer. And I did it as beer of my week a couple of weeks ago yeah. uh, for the star. Um, and it says on the back, an unfiltered lager with eight with light hot character and smooth rounded flavour, crisp and refreshing. It's that's a bit more than lager, lager, lager. Yeah. Uh, but I do like the design. It's quite, I don't know what you sort of curved lines on a white background. Right. OK, so uh, let's move on to another bit of news um, that Northern Monk are brewing collaboration beers with Seabrook crisps. They, they're brewing cheese and onion lager and a prawn cocktail gosa. Now, what was quite funny about this is that it was actually announced on their Twitter feed and I dare say Instagram as well on April Fool's Day. So naturally, everybody is looking for the stupid you know, that, that's ridiculous kind of uh, stories and saying, well, of course, that's an April Fool's Day joke. I did as well. I fell for it. But it seems that it wasn't an April Fool's Day joke. And of course, I'm really sure that they released it on that day as a kind of double bluff joke, really, mm. because they knew people would be saying, oh, it's April Fool's. But it's not. And I mean, I, I guess the questions I have is, well, just what would a cheese and onion lager and a prawn cocktail gosa taste like? Well, I can I can understand given that Goza has traditionally had salt in it. Yes. Um, so you could argue that possibly the salinity of the Goza might merge quite well with the um, the sort of brininess, maybe even of of yeah. the prawns or whatever. Well, certainly the not the fishiness but, of it, though. I mean, yeah, <laughs> but then you think about oysters and and stout, maybe even you know, well, and there were yes. oyster stouts. Would you try? I mean, have you oh, not ordered the Seabrook um, beers? Uh, no, I haven't. I, I probably would try out of curiosity. Um, I'm a, a Northern Monk alumni uh, box member. Mm. Um, so it's possible that they will actually be in the April box. I, d I don't know. Mm. I'm, I'm interested to try. And, you know, I, I, I love Northern Monk. I love pretty much everything that they do. Um, you know, that, that so, so many beers that I get in their monthly pack and, you know, other beers that I've had have been amazing. I'm sure it's not going to taste of prawns. Um, there is going to, the, the flavor will be subtle and sure. The cheese and onion lager, I mean, a lot of people say that some beers taste a bit oniony anyway, so. <laughs> yeah, that's the, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Simcoe I mean, they've got they've got previous with this kind of thing. You know, they did the Aunt Bessie's beers not too long ago, yeah. which was the Sunday roast brown ale um, and the jam roly poly pale. Now, neither of that. I mean, the the Sunday roast brown ale didn't taste of you know beef or pork or whatever. It, it was it was more of a nice kind of nutty brown ale that complements a Sunday roast. Yeah. Um, and the jam roly poly. Well, you know, we've had a lot of those kind of beers anyway. And Tiny Rebel did obviously their famous one. So. You know, those two for me worked and it could quite easily be a little bit gimmicky. But when the beers come that, uh, you know, they they are not quite as overtly flavoured to those well, kind of names as, as they would as it would suggest. Yeah, I mean, I, I won't be rushing. I do like Northern Monk as well, but I won't be rushing to get a, a bag of crisp flavoured yeah, beer, yeah. to be honest. Yeah. And, um, no, I, I, to be honest, you know, if they do come in my alumni box, I, I don't think I'll be ordering them separately. Um, mm. If they come in my alumni box, I'll be interested to try them and see what they're like. It may well be that I that I try them and, and really enjoy them and, and regret not having ordered some more, but we'll, we'll wait and see. So the other topic of discussion is uh, about Cloudwater's new four-pack of collaboration beers going into Tesco. 
Now, obviously, that's going to cause a lot of disappointment for people that Cloudwater are going into Tesco, but there's a great deal more to it than that, isn't there, Adrian? Yeah, there is definitely. For instance, I mean, they're doing two things. There's the four pack, which uh, features, uh, it's a Cloudwater and Friends four pack, which basically collaborations with Eco Brewery, Good Karma Beer Co, Queer Brewing and Rock Leopard Brewing. And as um, Paul Jones has said, you know, Paul Jones, obviously, people who don't know the the founder of Cloudwater, it's about bringing greater awareness to four businesses which are owned by people who are underrepresented within the beer industry and the wider society. And, you know, hoping that it's changing their lives in the beer scene for the better. That's his approach to it. And I I think it's a good thing what they've done. Um, Yeah, everyone always has doubts about Tesco, but uh, you know, I think it's a good thing. It's a bold, it's a bold move. And it's in the context of the, the British beer scene, it's it's brave even. You know, yeah. it leaves them open to all sorts of accusations, which I've already seen on Twitter, you know, of hypocrisy. Not as much as you would think, though. Maybe I haven't, I mean, you know, you can spend too much time on Twitter and you know, <laughs> I've got a book to write. You know, I think the point is that if you want to get a point across about diversity and the narrowness of the craft beer demography, you do need to get to places you might not necessarily want to get to. Yeah. Um, you know, you if that I, large you, platform, don't you? You need the, the yeah. massive platform that Tesco's are offering. Yeah, exactly. You know, if I would contrast it with the way what who I write for, I write for small indie mags, you know, various magazines, but also for large newspapers whose political views that I might not necessarily agree with but I'm a journalist at the end of the day I need to make a living but I also have an interest in what I write about and I want to write for instance I you know with the Daily Telegraph I want to be able to write about pubs uh, and get across to a lot more people than I would if I did a blog or if I did you know whatever and it's the same with the daily star with um you know the beer of the week uh it enables me to you know in a very in a tabloid sense discuss lambic and retinomyces which yeah. you know I'm, I'm sure it's never appeared in the daily star before oh, absolutely um, i'm certain of that <laughs> yeah so you know we are, we can't all write for the guardian um right. even though i've done it once and um as a journalist you you write for I mean obviously you do have certain things you wouldn't write for but um, so I, I think you know going back to Cloudwater I think what they're doing is a really bold move and also one other thing mustn't forget one of the collaborators is Good Karma Beer Co and this is an alcohol free IPA yes uh, so there's another interesting angle to it in that it's again adding to the whole alcohol free sector. Absolutely, absolutely. And I also, looking at the Cloudwater's blog post about this this morning, I saw a very good point that they're saying, and I quote from there, in what we believe to be a first for any debut into supermarkets, we will not be taking any profit from the sale of this collaboration four-pack. And mm. Brewdog, by the way, it's um, contract brewed at Brewdog, all of these beers, and Brewdog have agreed the same, meaning that all of the profits from the pack will go directly to the four collaborating breweries giving them a significant opportunity to invest in their growth. And I think that's a major, major key because, yeah. you know, it's it's easy to have a go at Cloudwater being a fairly big brewery going into Tesco. But for the likes of Echo, Rock Leopard, Queer Brewing and Good Karma, this mm. is absolutely massive for them. And people buying their beers from Tesco will mm. give them a significant 
uh, opportunity uh, in 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 their growth. I mean, that literally has exactly as uh, as Clabwater just said in that in that um, quote there. But it's that's a very very important thing, and mm-hmm. I think yes, I often get a little disappointed when somebody goes into supermarkets. Sometimes I might buy something from a supermarket every once in a while, but the vast, vast majority of the beer I buy is for, direct from breweries mm-hmm. or from independent bottle shops. But I understand that not everybody is in that position, mm-hmm. not only in, in desire, but also in the ability to do that. Mm-hmm. A lot of people buy their beers from supermarket because that's the opportunity, that's the only chance they have. It's cheaper, uh, it's more accessible, it's easier for them to get. Maybe they don't have a, a good bottle shop near them. And it's an easier opportunity for some people. And I think a lot of us who are privileged to be able to buy beer from directly from bottle shops and breweries sometimes forget that. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Well, you see, I, I've got a great bottle shop in Exeter called Hops and Craft, and I do buy um, beers from them. But I also do cycle across town to either the Morrisons or the Tesco, where they've got the likes of Buxton, Siren, Northern Monk, your favourites, um, various other, and, and you know, um, Citra, um, Duvel Citra, Duvel Citra. I mix and match. And I do remember a conversation I had with Chris, who owns um, Hops and Craft several years ago, when Beavertown joined up with Heineken, and yeah. you know, which caused a lot of great gnashing of teeth. And he said, well, obviously, I'm not going to take the, you know, um, neck oil and all that. But the specials, he said at the time, you know, I will take them um because they're not going to be in the supermarkets and i can get a, a fair price for them but he, i haven't seen any beaver town there's so many beers out there now a bottle shop can pick and choose as they go along oh I mean, absolutely yeah you know i think we have i think one one of his fridges is full with day but getting back to, to there's another interesting point that i did see on twitter about half an hour ago from jules gray who's a friend and she has hop hideout in sheffield a yes. really excellent indie beer shop and she's you know and she all she did was she put up two links regarding the ethical nature of tesco's business and she was like saying why did they not choose co-op and you know you read the bit about co-op and that's a very ethical business then you read tesco and there was a lot of issues there my thought would be that basically you do reach more people via tesco Um, yes absolutely and of course they've got um with uh, domo hill uh, mm. heading up their beer buying you've got yeah. somebody who is probably more aggressively targeting these kind of brands mm. that perhaps co-op and the likes aren't yeah. so yeah. I think the opportunity perhaps presented itself rather than they searched it out I, I think it's perhaps that yeah. maybe Tesco have have come to them and yeah. they've then seen that this is the this is the thing to to go with this is the entry to to get into I mean looking again at their blog post they've said yeah until this point none of the offers have ever felt right because they're referring to the fact that they've had several offers over the years Um, but given that the role in supermarkets in gaining access to a wider consumer base is regularly debated here in the UK we felt there had to be a particularly compelling reason for us to develop our ambition and make Mm -hmm. a beer available through this route to market so obviously this is that compelling reason it's it's to showcase these minority owned breweries Hmm. Um, yeah exactly so i can see i can see their point in that yeah and going back to the 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 thing about the profits sharing you know normally a brewery i mean i about two years ago i wrote an article for beer magazine on how big do you want your brewery to grow and i talked to people like um 
Mark um, at Burning Sky and Evan at um, Colonel, and they're quite happy with their level. Um, but the funny thing was, I also spoke to Stu at Magic Rock, the head brewer there, and this was before they were under the Lion Nathan wing, I think it is. And I'd actually been at Magic Rock about a week and a half before the announcement, and it shows you how my nose for hard news is not very good you know I was asking Stu about how big do you want to grow and everything and obviously he didn't tell me anything but he presumably he would have known but he made an interesting point is you get more money in because you've got a canning line and you want to actually be able to use the canning line and so you have to make sure you can get you know it's like a circle but I think then you would talk to I'd say Mark Transer at Burning Sky he's like saying I'm quite happy to get to this level because if I go any further I won't be one of the things points he made was I won't be able to brew because I'll have a lot more stuff to deal with and you know so going cloud water it's not about growing the business it feels like it because they're not making any profit from it yeah and it's also being brewed up at Brewdog yeah exactly uh, I guess you're right it does actually leave them in the same position as they were before yeah as a side line on this one is Brewdog have got the capacity now so does that suggest they must because they're still pushing out just a, 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 an incredible amount of beer of their own. So yeah, to have but they're not to doing. Do if you look at their website, they don't seem to be doing any um, sort of. Well, I, last time I looked at the website, it was basically the core stuff. You know, the fact also there's another sideline of of the whole news story this morning is that people are engaged with beer. All right, it might be so called beer Twitter, but you know, it, people are passionate about beer. And whether it's they're against it or for it, and it's no bad thing, I think. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, you're talking about your bottle shop that you go to in Exeter. I also have got a, a local called uh, Hop Stop in Oxted. They also mm. have their own bar in Rygate, which right. has uh, been closed this whole time. It doesn't have outdoor space. Right. And also Rygate uh, and Banstead Council were not allowing them to do click and collect from there. Uh, so they had to only do it from Oxted. So right. I think it's really still important to buy from these, you know, people like these guys and oh, God, your yeah. hops and craft. Yeah. Um, but I, and you know, I will go back to it again. Not everybody is in that privileged position to be no. able to either by geographically be able to do it, but by having somewhere they can. Sometimes you know, not everybody drives, so yeah. sometimes you'll have to be somewhere you can walk to. Uh, but also economically, and I think that's yeah. the key point: is that yeah. um, you know, hate it as we as you know, some of us do. Tesco sells some decent beers for mm. low prices, and that's accessible to a lot of people. Yeah. And I think that's yeah. important to 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 keep. And those of us that don't like to buy our beer, the majority of our beer from that channel, need to understand that rather than mm. criticise it. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so before we speak with Jeremy, the head brewer from Utopian. Uh, you're writing a book at the moment, as I understand it, about 250 British beers. You're writing about the beers in your own words, but also have asked the brewers to provide their stories behind the beers. And you've described it as asymmetrical and mobilizing the English language to make sense of beer. Mm, yeah, there was a flurry of commissions from Camera Books last year. Matthew's had is working on one, uh, yes, Pete did yes. the design one. Um, I know Johnny Garrett's doing one and I originally was going to be doing a second edition of my Great British Pubs which I did in 2010-11 and of course I can't research them. <laughs> no so any any idea when that might hit the bookstores? Yeah I think there's talk of a pdf version in the summer 
and then a printed version in September. But, um, right. you know, I'm just getting on with it at the moment. And yeah. I've, I've written 106 of the 250 beers. And I think right. I've got just under two months to get it done. And, um, yeah, I've I sort of lost a couple of weeks <laughs> farting around. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm getting everyone to sort of, as much as I can, to tell me the tale of, of the beer. You know, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I'm enjoy doing it. Okay, fantastic. We'll look forward to that. Right, so now it's time to welcome Jeremy Swainson, the head brewer from Utopian Brewing. Hey, guys. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. No problem. Thanks for coming on. We're going to have a great conversation. We've got some great questions for you, a lot contributed by Adrian. So I think we need to wet our whistle a little bit and have a beer to start with. I'm going to start with the 10 degrees that because perfect. lower ABV um, and then the other two uh, are two beers that uh, Adrian also has. So Adrian, are you going to start with the alt beer or? Yeah, I'm going to start with the alt beer. Uh, oh, I don't know why I'm showing it you because we're not on the... <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I'm going to start with the alt beer 5.2. So uh, a nice sort of, um, you know, nice session beer. Excellent. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I managed to get German the session. Yeah, yeah. German session beer. And I've got three different glasses for the three different beers I have. I have, for this German beer, I've got an ABK glass. Then I have a Utopian glass. And then I've got another Log Breweries glass. Uh, Oh, beautiful. (laughs) Classic. Okay, for for those listening, uh, Adrian's just held up a Carlsberg glass. (laughs) I I don't know if any of you have been to the brewery. I've been twice. And I'll be honest, I don't drink the beer, but... I find it, I mean, it's an historic brewery and, and their, yes. their microbrewery or whatever you want to call it, produces some great beers. And yeah, I recommend anyone, you know, if you can get in there, it's really amazing. I think that was, uh, that was the first brewery tour I've ever been on. So I was, uh, I think I was 16 years old. Wow. When I uh, went to Copenhagen and, and saw Carlsberg and uh, the, what is it called? The Jakobsen. I think uh, is like their oh, yeah, fancier, yeah. yeah, their fancier high high end range. Um, oh right, they're they're they did like a dark lager, and and at that time when I was sixteen, I'd only ever, you know, really tried Molson Canadian and and Coors and stuff. So <laughs> I it absolutely blew my mind uh, as a as a teenager discovering beer. And they yeah. let you they let you have a beer as well. Yeah, yeah sixteen. That's fine. Is that, is that, oh, right, I thought it was only Germany that was... Um, yeah, the Scandinavians are quite open, I think, about that, I, I believe. Oh, very sensible, very... I went to Regensburg when my son was 16, when James was 16, I'd won an award, a travel writing award, and they gave me a flight and a hotel, and we were sitting in a beer garden, and I said, mate, so I bought a beer for us, um, you know, the local brewery, Spittle, I think they called it something, in Regensburg, and mm. um, after the first pint, I said, right, James, it's your round now, and he went, what? come on (laughs) next morning we're like going i i think i had eight pints and he's going no i think i had nine and i'm going um you didn't you had eight i had nine actually i had the book at the end no i had nine and you know i'm thinking god (laughs) don't mention this when we get home eh? (laughs) yeah i've I've got this to come my son turned 18 last week last weekend and uh, his first beer was uh duration turtles all the way down Ooh, lovely beer yeah, and then he followed that up with some faith, 
yeah, this 10 degrees uh, is a Czech lager, isn't it, uh, Jeremy? So tell us a little bit about this beer. Yeah, so this is our, our first go at a session lager, really. In the, in the UK, you've got premium lager and you've got session lager. And the only real difference is ABV. So when Utopian first came out, you know, we knew we needed a premium lager. So something, you know, four and a half to five percent ABV. And, uh, and our British lager, which is a Hellas style, fills that category. And it took us a long time to want to try and do a lower ABV beer. So session, you know, lower strength. And a lot of the reason for that is it's sort of difficult to make them actually taste good. Alcohol contains flavor, and it's easy to end up with something that's just light and dry and, and not very interesting. You know, it's inspired by the Czech Republic. The, the biggest style of beer in the Czech Republic is a 10 degree lager. 10 degrees just refers to the starting gravity in, in degrees Plato. Yeah. So it's sort of a richer color than, our, than a Hellas would be. It's quite a deep golden color. Uh, we use a bit of Vienna malt in there to get some of the color and, and we're doing a double decoction mash on it, which sort of intensifies the malt flavor and, and the color a bit. And, you know, in the, in the Czech style, it's also quite a hoppy beer. So we're using a pretty new hop here in the UK called Godiva which is sort of, you know, there, there's a lot of attempts in the UK right now to mimic some of the uh, aromas coming out of American hops. Yeah. Uh, so, so trying to get more punchy, aromatic, fruity, juicy flavors into the UK hop breeds. And this is one of those, you know, early on hop varieties that Charles Farham have developed. So right. you get some stone fruit, uh, you get, you know, a bit of citrus. So Godiva is all in, in the whirlpool. So you won't get that sort of really juicy dry hopped character that wouldn't, wouldn't really fit to this beer. Sure. Yeah. No, it's very refreshing. It's a relatively bright day outside. I wouldn't call it a warm day, but I can imagine this going down really well in the, in the hot summer days. I really enjoyed it because um, I've had a few of them and sort of been to the Czech Republic a few times and you know visited breweries small breweries and everything and I think Jeremy you really I think you did it with JK didn't you when he was with the Yeasties or something like that yeah we we did a collaboration um yeah with the, the the first time we tried it so we did yeah 10 degree lager collaboration with Yeasty Boys we did a triple decoction mash <laughs> uh, <Isn't> <laughs> yeah yeah and then uh I think it had a two-hour boil as well. It was, yeah, it was it was a messy brew day, but <laughs> I, I remember it had a really good mouthfeel, and um, you know, you had like I, I don't know what it's like at the moment, but I remember I might have said to you, I felt there was, you know, with Czech beers, there is that acceptable level of diacetyl, and mm. I felt there was that really nice sort of just just there a touch of it which gave it a bit more body for a 3.9 fessy lejac it was great i thought mm. yeah it's it's uh you know diacetyl is definitely a character in in a lot of czech beers not just pilsner or kel and it in in low concentrations it can you know add a bit of full-bodiedness or comes across as a little bit caramel it can be you know really easily confused with malt flavors just as you know caramel malt can be confused for for diacetyl pretty easily i'm interested to find out more about the decoction mashing that you referred to the double and the triple you tell yeah. us a little bit more about what that brings to a beer yeah for sure so decoction is 
is a process where you during mashing while you're extracting you know the starches into sugars from the malt to make wort you boil part of that mash and uh, a double decoction mash means that you're boiling the mash twice triple decoction you boil the mash three times and uh, whenever you boil part of the mash and, and add it back to the mash tun it increases the temperature so you're running the mash through a series of different temperatures you know anything you do in the brew house is going to have an effect on the flavor uh, any decision that you make as a brewer so deciding to use the decoction or whatever mash program you decide on the evidence is sort of difficult to interpret but it's going to extract more nitrogen so higher molecular material into the into the beer which you know just adds a better mouthfeel better foam and and through the heating of the mash and the boiling you're going to get a bit of color pickup and and some more maillard reactions which gives that sort of intensity of malt character so, you know, I, I just had a quick glance at some notes on my trip to Bamberg and Franconia about three years ago, and I went to a brewery called Zenrender Monschambach. Do you know that? That's name? easy for you to say. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I was looking at my notes, and they, they were doing decoction. But the brewer and the, the founder, he well, not the founder, the, he'd take, you know, it's quite an old family brewery, but and it's a small country brewery in a small village in um, yeah. Franconia. And he said that they'd stopped decoction in 2000. But they're taking it up again because they felt it gave the right results for them. You don't need to do it, do you, Jeremy? There's definitely no reason why you have to do it. You know, 100 years ago in Germany, every brewery pretty much would have done decoction. And now maybe 10% of breweries in Germany might still be doing it. Will it be mainly Franconia, do you think? Yeah, Franconia is really, uh, yeah, lots of breweries, small family breweries. What we refer to, you know, they're making rustic beers. They're not making beers for the masses. And a lot of those guys are using uh, decoction because it's how they've always done it. And, you know, they're not necessarily looking for a scientific answer for, for why they do it. They just know that it makes the beer taste the way that it's supposed to. What I think is pretty cool is in the Czech Republic, you know, the Czech Republic, since the wall fell, uh, the Iron Curtain, there's been a huge push to not modernize Czech breweries in a way that compromises what is the flavor of Czech beer. Because they were, you know, behind the Iron Curtain, there was no money being invested in breweries. So essentially the brewing came to a standstill in like the 40s or the 50s, whatnot. And the beers didn't change. So then they come out of, you know, the communist era. And there was a real danger that they just, you know, go the way of the Germans and everything gets a bit lighter in color, a bit less flavorful, technically really high quality beers, but they wouldn't have been the same. And, and they've done a lot of research into decoction and, you know, sort of said, if you don't do decoction, then you can't call your beer a, a Czech pivo because right. it's just not going to taste right. Um, which is, yeah, it's, it's ballsy, but yeah. Pilsner, okay, I'll do a triple decoction. And, you know, they're, they're owned by one of the biggest corporate, I can't remember who they're owned by these days, Asahi. Asahi, yeah. Uh, yeah. And I don't know if um, Matushka do it, though. I can't remember. I haven't been there for several years. I once asked the brewer at Pivova Chodova to explain to me, because I was just fascinated by decoction. I actually, I've got a little drawing <laughs> in my notebook, which I then managed to put onto my, you know, the when I was transcribing the notes from several years back, because it does fascinate me. And 
you know, I think Andy Ganstella uh, in Franconia, Barry Ganstella said to me, you know, you don't have to do it, but it does give something. Hmm. And he uses a cool ship as well, or a, a yeah. cool tray, or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> so cool. Yeah, so it's more of a tradition, but something that lends a little bit extra to each beer that you do it on. Exactly, yeah. It's yeah. not a necessity, but mm. anything you do is going to change the flavor of the beer. We love it. You know, we see a few things immediately, like our wort, and you know, in the brewing process, a beer that we do a double decoction on, it just, it runs through beautifully. And mm. yeah, it's just a lot of fun. We, we got to get in there into, into the kettle with a big wooden stick and literally stir it. Uh, so <laughs> so, so you, you, you really feel like a brewer, you know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. No automation, just, just a man with a stick. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Fantastic. Let's talk a little bit about yourself then and your brewing background. Yeah, sure. I started like most brewers. I was, I was a home brewer in Canada. That's where I'm from. And, you know, I, I really got into beer sort of from trips like when I was 16 and, and went to Copenhagen and saw Carlsberg. And when I was 18, I spent a year in Germany on exchange, just really had fantastic experiences. Uh, exploring the world of beer so I ended up moving to Germany and doing a three-year apprenticeship at Privatbrauerei Bolton which is an alt brewery in the in the Niederrhein uh, region of Germany and had a fantastic time sort of uh, learning how to work in a brewery from the ground up and after that I, I went to Munich got my brewmaster's and decided I wanted to join the craft beer revolution, I guess, and uh, yeah. <laughs> come to the UK. So actually, I ended up with uh, with Camden Town Brewery. They were just building a new brewery in London, uh, in Enfield. Yeah, really, really exciting time. Spent a couple of years there, brewing lots of Hell's Lager. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, then I, then I found out about this project here in Devon and you know, another lager brewery. I thought, why not? It's, uh, you know, I don't have a choice now. I'm never going to be an IPA brewer. Never? <laughs> <laughs> wow. I'd, I, I, I would love IPAs and I would definitely uh, enjoy brewing a West Coast IPA. But I, I think I've just gone too far down the lager rabbit hole to ever dig myself <laughs> out again. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, is it is it because of your you and brewing or, or is it a utopian thing is utopian purely a, a lager brewery so so utopian beers will always be lagers um but as far as collaborations go or you know we're, we're happy to use those opportunities to make uh things like an alt beer which we did with bristol beer factory or uh we did an esb with with yeasty boys at the end of last year yeah um but yeah you you know it's uh, utopian is definitely all about lager okay a couple of uh, episodes back i was speaking with a few american breweries uh, but one of them springdale uh they were born out of uh, a brewery called jack's abbey um just outside of boston which is only a craft lager brewery and they decided they wanted to brew some other styles of beer but didn't think it fit with Jack's Abbey's image. 
So therefore they created a whole new brewery called Springdale uh, to do those other styles. So yeah. are you saying then that that would be the case for Utopian? If they, if you ever decided to brew other beers, it would be under a different banner? Yeah, I, I think we would have to grow quite a lot before we got to that point. You know, when there, when there's a day that, you know, we've got empty tanks that we don't need to fill with lager, <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't see that coming anytime soon. Right. Okay. So it's, it's a possible, but for a long time in the future. <laughs> yeah, it's a possible. I mean, we're, you know, we, yeah. If we uh, one day had a large estate of pubs, I suppose we, we might find a way to brew an ale or a pale ale to stick on tap. Yeah, again, uh, very, very uh, future discussions. Okay, right. So I am now going to open your birthday beer. Uh, now we are two, which is an export Keller beer. Let's just crack that open and... And we'll have a talk about the birthday celebrations, which uh, unfortunately, I guess, had to be very muted, considering the, yeah. the times we're in, but also the two years and the journey that, uh, that it's been so far. But just pouring this, it's got a gorgeous head. Wonderful head, and it's got a decent haze on it. So it's a, yeah. you know export Keller beer. It's an export because it's a bit higher ABV. Keller beer served you know, unfiltered right out of the cellar. This beer is really influenced by two events. You know, one of, one of the best experiences that Richard, our MD and founder, myself and, and our first brewer, Killian, one of the best experiences we had together was, was at Brow in um, Nuremberg a couple of years ago before the lockdown. We spent a night in Bamberg drinking Mar Au. And, uh, you know, if, uh, sure mo a lot of beer people out there listening will have tried that beer and, and, and understand how, how gorgeous it really is. It's, it's, uh, showcases, you know, sort of what lager can be. Mm. Um, and it's an ungespundetes beer, which means it's, uh, unbunged, uh, lower, lower CO2. So for the birthday beer, when we when it came to recipe development, you know, we we brew a Vienna lager, which to be honest is pretty closely modeled on Mar Au already. So uh, this beer is is actually modeled on the brewery that Adrian mentioned earlier, Sander Munch Ambach, uh, mm -hmm. Helles Full Beer, I think they call it, which is a 5.2% ungespundetes lager. And they brew theirs with 100% lager malt and 100% perla. And I just thought that was so beautiful because when you drink their beers, they're, you know, they're lagers, but they are so not clean. They are not crisp. They're, yeah. they're incredibly complex and flavorful. And they're using, you know, two ingredients, you know, well, you know, water and yeast, but they're using one type of malt, one type of hop. So this is sort of a tribute to all of those beautiful things. It's 100% lager malt, which was made for us by Warminster Maltings. They've created sort of a less modified Pilsner malt for us to brew with. Mm. And, uh, and it's 100% East Kent Golding, so just quintessential British uh, hops. Absolutely. Um, it's well, it's 5.2%. It's really tasting gorgeous. 
I'm cheating a little bit. I've uh, I've got Adrian's tasting notes in front of me. When you've got an expert on the uh, podcast, you've got to use his tasting notes. But yeah, the hints of marmalade that he mentions on the nose, absolutely getting that. And it's just really, really refreshing beer again. You know, there's more esters in this beer than you get from our from our Hellas or from the Czech 10. It's not quite as clean a fermentation. It's a bit yeastier. Uh, you know, it's just got, got a lot more complexity to it. I think it's lovely. Yeah. I really do. No, it is, is a very nice beer. So that was only launched a, a couple of weeks ago, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think just two two weeks ago, the, the 26th of March, we celebrated our second birthday. So, mm. So in terms of the last year, prior to... Uh, lockdown you're a 90 percent keg brewery that's got to have been a, a massive change for you the last year yeah it definitely was you know we were lucky because we we bought a can line when we were only 10 percent can business you know, we were very lucky to have made that decision and put the capital in so you know when when lockdown hit the first lockdown we sort of just stopped brewing for a couple of weeks Put everything into can and and then things just yeah like for quite a few breweries who had small packages went uh went a bit mental and the the fantastic thing about selling cans is you know how far we can ship them so i think we've reached yeah a much broader audience in the past year than than we would have if we were selling mainly keg beer locally in devon yeah uh, at the, at the same time, keg is definitely uh, that. That's where the volume is, and and where we really see uh, see our growth being, and you know, being able to go down to the pub and have a have a proper pint. You know, sure. I, think, uh, I mean, do you think now that uh, now that you've been noticed? Because I guess that's what you're saying is that perhaps in the last year, that change in your business model of having to can a lot more beer has perhaps seen you get noticed a lot further afield than Devon. And so now that we're going back into how it was before, hopefully, fingers crossed, that we're going back into how it was before, and you're going to be obviously brewing a lot more uh, beer for keg, do you think that the split is going to be a lot more even than 90-10? Because, of course, there are going to be a lot of people that will want you to continue canning their beer and sending it far far afield yeah yeah for sure that's um that, that's really what we're hoping uh is going to happen and, and what we're expecting is that a lot of the can volume that we've picked up um and 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 the can business that that's grown in the last year that doesn't just all disappear because um because pubs are open again um obviously it, it won't be uh, necessarily where it where it would be at in the peak of the lockdown, but um, you know sure. we're we're quite okay with that. But yeah, it's definitely gotten us out there, and you know the a lot of the online retailers and the bottle shops and stuff who had never heard about us uh, a year ago, they're you know happy to stock our beers, which is just fantastic. Absolutely, Adrian. Do you you wanted to ask a, a question? about art and science yeah what is a brewer is a brewer an artist or a scientist i remember having this sort of debate with john keeling at fuller's a few years back um you know is brewing a science or is it brewing is is it a science and art or a bit of both 
because you know I think I always ask the question because I was a complete idiot at science at school you know I <laughs> took my physics A level O level I never got as far as an A level uh, with physics I, I took it twice and failed my O what we used to call O levels I was talking with Roman from Solvay Society Brewery about two oh, yeah. weeks ago and he's got I think he's got a PhD or an MA in physics and I'm just like, and he was explaining some, you know, some of the beer names there. And it made me think, uh, yeah, I'm thinking about the, the talk side for Keeling. So, Jeremy, I mean, you, are you a scientist? I would probably say that I am more a scientist than I am an artist. When you talk about a craft, a trade like brewing, when does a trade like brewing actually become art? You know, when is a you know a carpenter um when does his craft his trade actually you know exceed the levels of normal to become an art and i think it's it's when trades people operate at such a high level for a long time that they become such masters of their profession and then you know they get lucky or are inspired and somehow produce something that actually is is different or causes change in their field. I think that would be the only time that a brewer might be considered an artist. Um, even though lots of brewers, I think, do consider themselves something of artists. Um, yeah. Isn't the art in the brewer getting the right thing? I mean, whoever, I mean, you know, I, I, I've spent some time going through the Fuller's archives when I wrote, rewrote their, um, updated their history a few years back, and it was... I found, you know, I don't know if any of you've been to the Fuller's archives, and you've got these log no. books, and you're basically going back to the 1880s. Every day they put down what how what they put in the beers, you know, the water temperature, yeah. etc. And I found the first day they brewed ESB, even though it'd been a winter thing a couple of years ago. Sorry, a couple of years before. And um, you just think the person that actually did that beer you know, who formulated that beer that day. Because beer is more, I mean, I always think beer is more than this. The, the, the liquid in the glass it is a social glue it gives us aspirations it, it makes us think about things it makes connections in our brains you know it has a culture it has a background it has a literature it has you know it has art um so that again goes back to 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 my my question um you know and i'm not i'm only asking you i'm not saying whether you're a scientist. I mean, I know there's an I couldn't brew to save me bloody life. I've done him brewing twice and it was rubbish. Even the dog wouldn't touch yeah. it. The <laughs> dog we had at the time. Um, but um, it's just like, having, you know, immersed myself in beer for the last 20 odd years in beer writing, it just feels, sometimes you talk to brewers, like yourself, Jeremy, and I'm not trying to get a free pint next time we meet or anything, but, um, you know, we, you 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 just get that feeling. There's there's this epiphany you get from a brewer sometimes when they talk. I mean, I remember having this one, Eddie Gadd, you know, Ramsgate Brewery. I asked him about something and he came out with something and I can't remember the exact quote. And it was like, wow. Again, that is the background of why yeah. I asked the question. Mm. I get I th I think in a way, so so brewing really fantastic beer. In order to do that as a brewer, you sort of have to sift through an incredible amount of information that's available online, in books, you know, learned in, in the practice of brewing. And if there is an art to brewing, it's perhaps the way that a brewer utilizes all of these different conflicting bits of information 
in order to actually make the decisions which influence the brewing process and, and the ultimate beer, which is, could be argued either way, whether it's a science, you know, analyzing, it's sort of analyzing data. That's, that's what I'm trying to do. I try and find, you know, blogs with some random German or Czech brewmaster who said something about their process. And I'll like just dig and dig and try and find little bits of information that are, you know, aha moments where you're like, oh shit, that's why they do that, you know, or yeah. that's why this happens. But isn't that like a painter? I mean, a painter, when they mix their colors, there's a technical aspect there, you know, oh, I know, yeah. but this with this, this with this. But when they actually get to get the canvas in front of them, I mean, I don't know if anyone paints anymore because it's all unmade beds and um, empty spaces and all that but um but you know as you say jeremy you're going through all sifting through all this information and you know you painter needs to know what paints to mix the same with a classical composer you know um like 50 years ago 100 years ago someone like vaughan williams would have thought well i've you know i'll have a listen to a bit of ravel uh, what does he do all right now i'll just write it down here and see what it works out yeah okay yeah right 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 i've got my inspiration now and i'll go off on a tangent somewhere so I don't you know I do think there's an element of both to be honest I agree I would say there is some of everything because as I think as you quite eloquently put it there Adrian about the paint on the palette that I guess is analogy to the scientific part of the brewing you know what's going to happen if you use these hops these malts you know certain temperatures all that kind of things but it's then the twist on it because you know if it literally was just science then all beers of the same styles would taste pretty much the same um there's the, the art aspect i think is the twist on it the, the the what what you then do with the science with the data with um with what's known is is then how it's manipulated and how it then ends up in that can in that keg being poured into the glass the reason why we think that there's an art to it is because the science isn't actually good enough yet. You know, they got like AI that can uh, compose incredible music these days because it somehow figured it out, right? I, I don't know. I, I think maybe there's massive gaps in the science of brewing. If you, if you try and research things, you know, it's incredibly difficult to find um, good results. And therefore, we need to have this sort of artistic element mm. filling in all of these gaps that we don't the know the unconscious yeah exactly and um who, who knows how how that will change you know how how much money is going to continue to get put into doing more research into brewing and who, who knows we'll yeah. see okay wonderful are we ready to move on to the next beer yep because I think we've got the Cherny Specialny. I mean, I've been looking forward to all of these beers, let's be honest. But I'm really, really looking forward to this one. And part of that is Mr. Adrian Tierney Jones's fault because he waxed lyrical about <laughs> this beer several times. And I just, I mean, my, I do like lagers. I'm, I'm very much enjoying these. My preferred style of beer is stouts and dark beers. So when there's a convergence of similarities between the two uh then i am really there so let's pour this one out I, I think that gets it right on the head it's a bit of a a crossover isn't it yeah 
it's like black IPAs, similar kind of reasoning for liking black IPAs is that you've got the kind of hoppiness of an IPA, but you've also got that roasty chocolatey element, you know, that fr from a stout or a porter. So that's what I'm hoping for here. And let's pour this one out. This is your first time trying it then, Paul. This this is my first time trying it. Absolutely. So I'm I'm really, really looking forward to this one. Bear with me a sec. This is a, a nice, healthy, healthy big head there. The the Charnay is going into your Carlsberg glass then, Adrian. Yeah. It's a good one. <laughs> I remember um when I was over last, about three years ago, I think it was, or two, I can't remember, they were trying to launch the Carlsberg Dark. I don't know if anyone remembers that. And it was based oh. on their recipe from the late 19th century. I thought it was really good. And uh, I remember saying to someone there, um, you know, and, and several of us, it was, it was a press trip and there were several beer writers there. And we were all saying, yeah, we should launch this in the UK. And they never did. You've just led me, Jeremy, do my usual digression. You know, you mentioned the glass. And I yeah, that's all good. That's all good. <laughs> But no, this is lovely. I'm really, really enjoying this. Chocolate and coffee and berries, just absolutely gorgeous. Everything, uh, as I was saying, Jeremy, that uh, a stout drinker wants in a lager. You know, you want, if you want that kind of crossover element to it, then I'm getting the, the beautiful flavors, but in a, in a kind of a different package, so to speak. So it's beautiful. Well done. Cheers. Fantastic. Mm. I love it. It's my, um, I pop down, Jeremy knows it, the bottle shop we have in Exeter called Hops and Craft. And I pop in on Saturdays, you know, lunchtime. And it's like, oh, it's one of the beers I'll pick up for a, when I start cooking later in the afternoon. I love it. Mm. And it's it's a bit more powerful too, right? 5.9 ABV, but I think it, it for this sort of beer, it just like adds to the body and, and the flavor rather than adding any sort of alcohol hit. And it's a beautiful mouthfeel as well. Really, really gorgeous yeah, it's, beer. It's really a, it's a, it's a funny one because the, I think this beer has gotten more attention than, than any other beer that we've ever brewed at Utopian. Really? Yeah. As far as, you know, uh, the, the, whatever bullshit beer rating websites out there and, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. blogs, all of that. It's, it's a, uh, people really seem to love it and i wish that we had a great story to tell about how we came up with the beer but it's actually a, a, quite sad it was you know september october and uh and we saw you the uk heading into another lockdown so like oh we're not gonna have any kegs of lager to sell uh should we brew something else um <laughs> to stick into some cans and we threw out a you know threw around a couple of ideas Charney and was one of them and I can't remember what else we we were thinking of but yeah I did I, I think we we decided we'd brew a Charney and then the next day we we brewed it and so where did the inspiration for the beer come from there aren't actually very many Charney specialities some of the you know which which is otherwise known as Tamavi so Tamavi means dark Charney means black um in in Czech and this one is is based on Kutna Sumave's Tmavi Speziani, I think they call it, which is just like a big black lager. And, and in typical Czech fashion, it's it's sort of all about body and mouthfeel. So we usually really avoid caramel malt. And in this beer, it's it's actually got a decent amount of caramel malt, which really sort of soothes the the roasted character of the beer and and just makes it 
have this incredibly rich mouthfeel. So yeah, def- inspired by by the Czech um, speciality beers. And Kutna Samavi would use 100% Saz hops, and we used 100% Fuggles. <laughs> yeah. So you're kind of brewing Czech and German styles, but you're brewing them with a lot of uh, British ingredients. Because I noticed, obviously, yeah. earlier on that we had uh, Kent Golding's in the Now We Are Two, and Spoggles in this. So is it that you're sort of trying to create that kind of hybrid of the, the, the styles that are Czech and German, but in a British way? It, that's, that's exactly what we're trying to do. So it's um, a big part of the brewery's ambition was to be as sustainable as we could be. And, uh, and our founder, Richard, one of his first thoughts there was, well, we shouldn't be sending malts and, and hops from all over the world to our brewery. Let's see if we can do it with UK ingredients. So that's one of the, the core parts of our, our ethos. It's all lager, it's 100% British ingredients. You know, I think we've, we've had a lot of fun sort of ex- exploring these styles of beers which aren't typically brewed with EKG Fuggles or Godiva. And, uh, and, it's, and it's sort of forced us to be creative and think about the raw materials in a different manner which yeah, I, I think really works. I mean, this, this Charnay, it's, you know, some people would think, okay, well, you brew in lagers, so there's not much hops in it. But, you know, all of our beers, even the, the Hellas style lager, it's, you know, not absent of hop. We're at like 20 IBUs in that beer. Yeah. And that's the lowest that we get. And this, uh, the Charnay's, I think 45 IBUs and mm. has three pretty massive additions of Fuggles hops um, throughout the boil. So, so we're really not shying away from something coming through as, you know, a lager with Fuggles or EKG. We're, we're pretty happy to embrace that. Mm. I guess these are the people that probably look at the macro lagers, uh, which are you know, extremely light on hops, um, and just assume that that is a lager style, that that is how lager is. But, um, you know, it, it's just that's how macro lager is. That's not how craft and, and proper lagers are. Exactly. Proper lager. I like that. That's a, that's a yeah, good proper term. lager. Traditional lager, I guess. Lager, because of, so you, you we're talking about the styles that you're brewing are, are predominantly Czech and German. They're really, everything's inspired by, by Europe, um, but there, there are takes on it. So, so the, the premium British lager and the unfiltered are the same beer. One's filtered, one's unfiltered, and they're both okay. a, a German-style Hellas and the um, British Pilsner is, uh, so, so it's British because it's British malt, British hops, brewed in Britain. Okay. Uh, the British Pilsner is, uh, is, is, is somewhere between a Czech and a, and a German Pils. I, I haven't really decided yet, um, but quite hoppy. Yeah, so, so they're all our unique takes on these styles and they're British because by using East Kent Goldings or Fuggles or Godiva or Jester or whatever, um, it fundamentally changes the character of the beer and and it's not going to taste exactly like a German Helles because we've used different raw materials. Sure. I'm just looking at the, the list of questions that I had. Adrian, do you think your rusticity question has been answered already or would you like to ask that? I'm just fascinated by it. It's like I remember the launch a couple of weeks back and someone asked about rusticity 
and it was like oh, they said they normally thought about farmhouse sales or or saison or beer de garde but i just i mean you your i can't remember exactly your explanation but it really sent me off on this riff in my mind about rusticity and you said earlier on about dirty beers almost or unclean you know beers that weren't clean and you know alambic from a traditional producer someone like uh cantillon or gerardin they're not clean beers and i remember when i was in franconia i had to bang on about this <laughs> i love franconia <laughs> get back um you know visiting i mean i was talking with the uh, managing director of uh, Schlenker, well, um, Browery Heller, you know, who produced Schlenkerler, mm-hmm. Matthias, um, about a month ago, so I've got this piece coming out in Pellicle on Smoke Beer. And it just made me think brewers or the brewing industry in the last 50 years has adored cleanliness and similarity in beer. The wine industry, you don't know what it tastes like every season in the sense. There might, it, it's not going to be like, oh, Christ, it tastes like lemonade this season and tastes like an apricot. But, you know, there are these nuances. And I feel sometimes what, what Jeremy's talking about in rusticity is that the small-scale brewing, you know, brewing is all about being the same each time, isn't it? It's all about being the same, you know. But it's a great thing, that rusticity, in that, that you know, this beer might not be the same, only very subtle but that idea of fact you know it's like when you talk about conductors you know oh his version of Wagner's the ring is different from that version of the ring so yeah that's that's what rusticity means to me it is like a beer of character and you know PR people you keep using this as a beer of character what do you mean it wears a hat and walk down the street with an umbrella um and you know it, it just felt it it chimed with me when you discussed it I mean I feel that yeah. I need to write about 5,000 words about it and bringing, bring in all sorts of connections because it's more than just the, the, the drink, to be honest to me. It's, it's, mm. it's the poetry, there's music, there's literature, there's cooking, whatever. But anyway, that's me. Yeah, I, I, I had, um, in, in that call, I'd completely forgotten that we wrote the words rustic on the can and I was caught a, a bit off guard there. Rustic is a word that's it's in danger of being used completely inappropriately. You've got like every saison maker saying that their beer tastes rustic because it's brewed with a saison yeast. Maybe not to that extent, but hopefully you get the idea. I personally spend a lot of free time reading, um, you know, nineteenth and eighteenth century German <laughs> brewing <laughs> test <laughs> textbooks. <laughs> In, in, in old German. In so old I, German. Oh, I had to learn a new language and, and a new alphabet, but uh, it, it's great fun. And, you know, be, I, I know it, it sounds horrible, but I really get, get to see like this insight into what were people actually doing 200 years ago in Munich. You know, I, 150 years ago, the brewmaster from Spaten in Munich wrote a textbook and, and every, you know, everybody who wrote a brewing textbook back then started it with, I am writing this book because all the other books so far to date have been shit. Um, so I feel compelled by God and country to to take this on myself. And, Sounds like and, beer writers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're very dramatic. When I've been learning about, you know, the history of lager and how it came about today, it's really a, a an incredibly beautiful, 
process. The more I, I learn about it, the more magical it seems to be. And there's this character that a beer that goes through this very natural fermentation and maturation process um, is, is going to have, which is, isn't going to be far away from a beer that, they, that people could have been drinking in Munich, you know, 100, 200 years ago. And I think if, if you want to use rustic, then, you know, over 100 years ago, a flavor is, is probably considered rustic today. And, you know, in, in Franconia, they're incredibly traditional. These guys are using like cool ships for making lager, which is unheard of, right? And, and there's probably more cool ships in Germany than there actually are in Belgium. And, and, and none of them want to make sour beers with them. They're making clean-ish uh, lagers. Mm. And it's, it's to do with the dust tool rest, isn't it? Or DMS rest or something. It's only about 20 minutes, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so they're not cool. They, they don't always cool down to fermentation temperatures. They'll, they'll probably like let it cool down to cool the wort to like 60 or 70 degrees. And then, then they use another thing called a Berieselungskuhler. Um, very <laughs> fancy word. And, and then, you know, open fermentation and, uh, you know, once, once the fermentation doesn't look like it's moving anymore, they just transfer it into a lager tank and forget about it for, you know, a month or two. It's, it's, it's a beautiful process. And, and in, in Franconia, the beers have a character, you know, any, Adrian, you know, you, you've definitely experienced it. Anybody who goes there is, notices immediately oh my god these loggers are nothing like i thought logger could be like and i think that character is is rustic it's doing things the way it used to be done czech beers even pilsner kell is rustic a macro logger from i agree, I, agree. I drink an embarrassingly large amount of pilsner kell in cans from sainsbury's I, I think it's such a gorgeous beer uh when it's not oxidized it's it's fantastic <laughs> It's just got like incredible malt character. It's smooth. It's quaffable. It's hoppy. Um, and it might not taste like it did in 18, uh, whatever, 42, but it probably hasn't changed that much. Mm. So in terms of uh, brewing kit, is there something that you don't have that you wish you did? Uh, lots of things. Um <laughs> Yeah, this is the section that Richard should listen to because. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so we we could definitely use a yeast propagation tank, which is really uncommon for a brewery our size um, to have a tank dedicated to to growing yeast. But yeah, I, I feel very uncomfortable allowing <laughs> anybody else, like an external lab, to to have control over such a vital process in our brewery. Mm. And, it, it, and it would make me sleep much better if we were doing that ourselves. Okay. Excellent. Centrifuge. So, so that's on. No, no centrifuge ever. <laughs> Even though, so, so we brew some beers for yeasty boys and, and we made a, a triple IPA for them, which um, Ooh. was, was lots of fun. And, and yesterday, uh, eight hours into trying to transfer this beer and, and still having hops come out of the bottom of the tank, I, I did think for a minute, this is why all the uh, all the IPA brewers end up with a centrifuge at some point. <laughs> right. Okay. So uh, so a yeast propagation uh, tank then yeah. is is on the shopping list for Utopian Brewery. Excellent. 
So if Richard didn't know that, he knows it now. Um, <laughs> so is there anything, Jeremy, that you can tell us about the future of Utopian, what we can expect coming up over the next year or so? Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, like I mentioned just before we started, we've, we've had a hell of a busy week uh, getting prepared for some pubs to, to start opening. And, and I think that's that's just the biggest thing. Everybody's holding their breath, waiting to sell kegs again. Um, and, and our big focus this summer is definitely going to be on selling kegs of lager. And, uh, and, and our 10 degree session lager, I think that's going to be uh, we only brewed that for the first time uh, last October or something. So that that we're hoping uh, to put into keg this summer and uh, and get it out to pubs so people can stop drinking um, Foster's or Carling and uh, start drinking a 10 degree. Oh, let's hope. Let's hope. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's what we're after right there. Apart from that, I, I can't give too many details, but but um, we do have a couple of very exciting collaborations that we're working on. Okay. There, there will be a West Coast IPA, actually, but at, at, at quite an incredibly small scale. And, right. uh, yeah, yeah. It's a collaboration, we, so, we can, so it's okay. Um, I hope there's bitterness. I hope there's bitterness. Oh, there will be. Don't oh, worry, Adrian. I just had um, Oregon Trail. Andy Parker sent me some Oregon Trail. I love that. And I, I just like, because I'm, I'm writing a book at the moment on, you know, another list book, but I'm trying to do it my way. And uh, I'm putting Oregon Trail in and Andy was very good to send me one. And, and it was like, oh, that I, is, it's that's a beautiful so 2015 on the West Coast in Oregon for me. <laughs> yeah. No, I love that. I mean, I, for, for me, West Coast IPAs, I prefer. I, I drink plenty of, you know, hazy and neepers. Um, but well, I've got, I love, I love a West Coast IPA. And, you know, oh. bitter, bitter as hell. It's got it reminded me of Stone. It reminded me of Stone because I met Mitch, I met Mitch Steele in London once. I was got introduced to him. And it's like, I remember drinking it with it. And it was like, oh, God, you know, it's a love Stone. Yeah. You know. bitterness is is such an important part to beer and um part of beer and and i sort of went into hibernation into my lager world for a few years but before that i was massively into into ipas and east coast ipas like heady topper and um but, but they are, aren't they the children aren't the any neepers the children of heady topper well, well obviously yeah. not some somehow they're deformed and uh, see i've never had heady topper and someone was going to get me one and then they drank it themselves it's it's, uh, <laughs> it's bitter it's it's quite bitter adrian and uh -huh. uh, and it's a fantastic beer right okay so jeremy um i do a little thing in the podcast where i have the guest ask a question of the next guest um and the idea is they don't know who the next guest is Okay, so I had Brew by Numbers uh, as my last guest a couple of weeks back. So I'm going to play you Mike from Brew by Numbers asking you his question. In your opinion, what is the best country for beer? Um, but I want to hear like a, a really good reason why. I don't want to hear, you know, I just want to hear like, not that beer is the best. What is the best country for beer? That can be pubs, that can be brewers, beers, ingredients. What is yeah. the best country in your opinion for beer and, and like a real big why? 
Yeah, you, you'd think it would be an easy answer. I'd just say Germany or, or the Czech Republic, but he's, <laughs> he's asked for, for a good reason. Um, that, that's pretty tricky. Um, I could imagine a utopia which, which sort of combines many different aspects of, of different <laughs> countries together. I'm going to say the Czech Republic because currently that is the place where I would love to drink beer more than anywhere else. Um, and it is what I've missed most being in lockdowns. Mm. The Czech drinking culture is incredibly, you know, beer is just a staple food. It's, uh, it's not stuck up. It's cheap. It's served in large frothy glasses with care and, you know, thick, beautiful head. And uh, nobody looks at you funny if, if you down pint after pint uh, and, and eat more pork and dumplings than, than, <laughs> than your stomach can handle. I mean, that, that, that's a beautiful thing. Uh, unpretentious beer enjoyment in the Czech Republic. And, and there's so many breweries, you know, Kutna Sumavi is like the most hyped Czech brewery ever to have existed. They're out of business now because the Czechs do not care about what brewery is hyped. It, it, it doesn't matter. It's all just, you know, what's on tap, where are you drinking it, and, uh, and does it taste good? And uh, yeah, the Czech Republic. There we go. Okay, <clears throat> fantastic. Good answer. Thank you for that. So, of course, that means that I need a question from you to ask for the next mm. guest. What is going to be, in your opinion, the beer trend? So the style that becomes the biggest style, the next cool thing, you know, in 2022 after hazies are done with. What are we going to see? Right. Okay. And so when you're not drinking lagers, when you're not drinking, you know, utopian lagers, what's, what's your go-to beer? So, so during lockdown, I'll be honest, uh, uh, I probably consume more Pilsner or Kel uh, than, <laughs> than anything else. But uh, Bohem Brewery, uh, Amos Pilsner, fantastic, uh, really fantastic beer. You know, we're, we're getting a reasonably fresh Sierra Nevada these days. They've got like a Cali Pale Ale, which is, which is fantastic. Um, I, I typically uh, have a couple bottles of Phantom in uh, my cupboard at any time. Really love, you know, a complex saison. Um, mm. that, that probably sums it up. I have cravings for Phantom. I need a weekly hit of Pilsner or Kell and uh, any, anybody else selling like West Coast IPA or loggers in the UK, I, I typically find online and, and try at some point. Okay, wonderful. Well, Jeremy, it's been absolutely fantastic talking with you. Thank you so much for spending the time. Uh, the lagers, the, the, the beers that we had um, this evening were uh, absolutely fantastic. The, I'm, I can actually now say that Adrian, after all your waxing lyrical about Czerny Specialny, uh, yeah, absolutely. I'm totally there with you. It was gorgeous, beautiful, absolutely fantastic beer. Um, as I said, you know, great combination, having that kind of, you know, the, the, the roasty coffee chocolate element of a, of a good porter or stout, but, but in a lager. So I'll be, I'll, be find, I'll be trying to find more of those, definitely. 
So that was fantastic. But Jeremy, thanks for spending the time chatting with us this evening. And uh, I look forward to being able to, actually, it's not very far away now, is it? I've said this so many times to people down down the episodes. <laughs> I, think, you know, I look forward to being able to get that. And, you know, you couldn't see the light at the end of the tunnel. But now, yeah. actually, that light at the end of the tunnel of being able to get down and, and actually, you know, get to your tap room and sample the beers fresh out of the tank uh, isn't too far away. So I, I definitely look forward to doing that. It's coming soon, for sure. Thank, thank you so much for having me. And, uh, and just one last thing, um, as long as people still are ordering beer online, we're going to do like a 10% discount code off of our web shop. And the discount code will be beer prime, um, all in lower uh, case. Uh, so if you go on to Utopian Brewing's web shop, stick in beer prime, you'll get 10% off of your order. Richard Wonderful. told me to say that. Sure. <laughs> that's wonderful thank you so so 10 percent. there you go guys so get 10 percent off of some spectacular beers beer prime all lowercase and no space just literally beer prime lowercase exactly cheers thank you guys Jeremy, no, cheers thank you so much for your time it's been a lot of fun cheers that was fantastic talking to jeremy did you enjoy that adrian oh yeah very much yeah he's a good chap fantastic excellent um, and uh, yeah, I mean, we had uh, obviously there between us, we had four beers because uh, we had three each, but two uh, different ones uh, at the start. Uh, and they were fantastic. I really I mean, I think for me, the Cherny uh, Specialny was uh, was my favorite of the three. They're all three great. Yeah. Um, but that one, I think, as I said, um, when, when talking with Jeremy, that the dark notes that I do prefer dark beers. So having mm. those kind of multi roasty kind of notes in with the lager elevated it for me and made that uh, the best one yeah no i i really enjoyed the um uh, the export you know the one that now we are two i yes. really loved that that did remind me of drinking in bamberg you know that soft carbonation mm. and that just overwhelming mouthfeel absolutely brilliant beer no they're, absolutely. All, they're all good beers you know yeah no quite right absolutely uh right so on with uh, some beers from other breweries then that we've had um, recently. Do you want to start? Yeah, I'm quite a lot actually, but I won't go too many. <laughs> but what I'm, I'm just looking, one of the beers I've really enjoyed in the last couple of weeks was the Thornbridge Adnams collaboration, Nevermore. Right. Uh, okay. Which was, uh, here we get to language again. They, they declared <laughs> it as an India Porter. Um, it was absolutely gorgeous. Um, you know, it wasn't, there was a, there was a slight roastiness to it and there was chocolate, mocha coffee, and there was a citrus softness in the background and it was, you know, slightly creamy mouthfeel. Um, mm. but it wasn't assertively roasty and I really, really enjoyed it. I, um, I thought it was a really gorgeous beer and I think I, I'm trying to remember, but I think they really, I think they just used British hops in it or English hops even. So they were trying to cut down the food miles. And of course, there's a link there with Utopian in that they use solely English hops as well. So yeah, I thought, thought that was uh, a really good beer. I, I, or I don't know where you can get hold of it. I think I got it from the, the website, Adam's website, and I presume Thornbridge have it on their website. Yeah, I, I think I've seen it around in some bottle shops, but uh, well, I haven't sampled it myself. But uh, very good. if I do see it, I will, I will definitely get that. Right, so for me, the first one um, I'm going to mention is Burning Sky. Um, oh, yeah. I've had a, I bought a fair few of theirs recently, but uh, the other day I had Snap Decision, 
which is uh, an American brown owl. Oh, and uh, it was just absolutely gorgeous. I do like brown owl as a style. I think it's a style that is hopefully coming back here. Um, I know that a lot of people, when they think of brown owl, they think of Nuki brown owl. Yeah. And that's why perhaps the, the style isn't flourishing as much as it should. But with beers like this one, if people have this um, Burning Sky, uh, it was absolutely exceptional. So if you see that one around, um, I would recommend it. What's it called again? Snap Decision. I'll have a look at my bottle shop. I'll have a look online see if Chris has got it. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, I'm limitless in my admiration for Mark Tranter's brewing capabilities. You know, yeah. he is, yeah, one of the, the the shining stars of the British brewing scene. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, right, over to you. Well, you mentioned American Brown Ale. Um, another beer that really impressed me was Howling Hops's We Buy Teeth. <laughs> a really stupid, okay. not stupid <laughs> name, a really bizarre name. And I did we ask them teeth. about it. Some of their names, there was another a beer of theirs called Penny Floaters. And <laughs> I, I just thought, I do remember when I was in school, I hit, you know, the floaters uh, with float on. So that just was like, <laughs> but yeah, We Buy Teeth. Yeah. That was gorgeous, I think. You know, it's really rich, full of flavour. And it felt like, you know, the aromatics of the hops tumbled out of the glass like acrobats. It was absolutely, <laughs> you know, it was fantastic beer. I'm, I'm looking at my notes here. You know, there was like herbal lemoniness, hint of black pepper, chocolate, um, tropical fruit, spicy and peppery, bittersweet and dry in the finish. And those bloody acrobats tumbling around. <laughs> oh, that sounds good as well. We buy tea. That is then from Howling Hops. Yes, lovely. Right, the next beer for me is a Northern Monk beer. It's one of their old Flax Store series. Uh, although Brian Dixon is the head brewer at Northern Monk, um, Ads, Adam, uh, heads up the old Flax Store project, and he oh, is churning out some awesome, awesome beers. What they're doing this year is they're doing like a world tour. Three beers every month, different country. They started with Japan, and in February they were uh, Russia, and this month is Belgium. But for me, it was uh, their OFS 029, and uh, it's a Russian Imperial Stout. Basically, I think, I can't remember the ABV now, but I think about 12%, and literally no adjuncts, a bit of dextrose, but no adjuncts aside from that. And it just tasted like a great, bare bones but really really well brewed beer mm. um and that was um definitely uh, hit the mark um really and and it didn't taste 12 percent at all you know i mean it, it was punchy don't get me wrong but i would say maybe nine percent if i was to be guessing you know tasting it blind mm. i'd say it was kind of in the nine nine or so range but that was uh, an exceptional beer oh wow so your next one well, I finally got to try Elusive Brewing's Oregon Trail. Oh, wow. And that, is, that is an exceptional beer. It is, yeah, exceptional is the word. Um, it felt like 2015 all over again. You know, pine, citrus, great hoppiness, pepperiness, spine of caramel in the background before it's all embracing bitter finish with a tinge of sweetness in the background. You know, I felt like it was one of the best old school West Coasters around. You know, I wrote down, this is fiery preaching about the gospel of West Coast IPA. And it reminded me of Stone, Green Flash, and, you know, San Diego IPA forever. Yeah, I just absolutely have, I've kept one aside to share with Jeremy. 
but I really, really thought it was a stunning beer. Absolutely, you know. Yes. No, I'm t- I mean, I'm in total agreement with you there. Um, I've had it a couple of times, and uh, it's been been awesome both times. Right. So my last one is uh, Siren and their Grateful Eight Dipper, uh, their eighth birthday beer. I got the box uh, for their Grateful Eight online beer festival. Uh, but basically, I dipped in and out of the festival. Um, when I was out in the garden, I was trying it on my iPad or my iPhone, and it, it wasn't too good as a as a mobile platform, unfortunately. But certainly when I was then back inside and I was using my computer, then it was a fantastic uh, system. And uh, the they had many different sessions covering a whole range of things, not just about you know their beers and brewing, but also uh, it was a session on independent um, post-COVID. There was um, something about snacks with beer. There was a cook-along as well, a burger. You could order a, uh, the burger meat and all that kind of stuff and have a cook-along with Melissa Cole. Oh, right. Uh, who cooked along. Um, and so, yeah, it was, it was an all-round good day. But the, the special celebratory um, dipper, which I sort of saved to the end, and had that as the as the last beer was just a superb um, double IPA, just absolutely hit the mark. I think I have a lot of dippers that are just taking a bit too much. I guess more towards the tipper, kind of like basically trying to border the yeah. the, the, the the line between dipper and tipper. Um, I think trying to perhaps get everything out of a dipper that they can out of the uh, you know the the, the, the guidelines in, in ABV. This yeah. one wasn't like that for me it was just well balanced and all round uh very very good wow. is it it's it's not available still is it i think it might be i mean they they had a certain amount that they were obviously guaranteeing people that had the box and then if they had any left over they were putting them on the shop i believe they did do that whether they're sold out now or not i don't know but right. yeah it sounds great i mean i didn't know that how that would work but when you say it was cut up into sessions yeah same. yeah well they had it like a proper like a festival they had three stages it was uh, run by the craft beer channel they were the kind of main hosts of it okay. and so you had a craft beer channel uh stage you had a uh, siren stage um and then a simpsons malt stage oh yeah so you had kind of different things so there were clashes um but everything was recorded and you could watch back everything uh, th- that had been recorded at a later time so it, oh, it was a well it was a well run uh yeah, festival it. all around Right. Okay. Well, Adrian, I think we've run out of time, but right. it's been wonderful having you co-hosting with me and uh, chatting with Jeremy. Um, I very much uh, appreciative of you spending the time uh, to right. help I me enjoyed out. Enjoyed it. I, I like nothing better than the sound of my own voice. <laughs> uh, well, I'm chatting about beer, and it's uh, it's a yeah. it's a lovely job to have, I guess, isn't it? So, talking and writing about beer. Yeah, I'm going to admit it. It is. I don't. It doesn't make you know. I I'm not. A rich person but it is a rich way of living a life and um yeah you know i do editing as well but but yeah i it, i'd say about 90 percent of my work's about beer uh, but i'm a journalist first and foremost and you know i've always worked with big words and um mm. 
Yeah, it is enjoyable. It is, you know, I've always, I, people always just say to me, you've got the best job in the world. And you say, you see my bloody bank account, mate. Uh, <laughs> and especially if it was at my son's school and it was like one of the really well-off people said it to me as I was standing, we were standing there watching the rugby or something. Yeah. But um, no, it is enjoyable. I've, I'm really, I am really eager to get out in the world again. So not just pubs around here, but travel. Because I was tired a year ago, I, you know, I think the lockdown or not being able to go anywhere has, has, has sort of helped me a bit, you know, I mean, I haven't been just locked in, I mean, I have I've probably cycled a lot, but I do feel ready now. I'm ready to take an overnight coach to Heathrow, <laughs> which I had got so sick of this last year, by yeah. February, I just got so sick of, but I am ready to, to sort of sit on a Ryanair's airplane even, you know, as long wow. as it gets to Berlin or <laughs> yeah. I do want to investigate travel by train across Europe, but it might be a bit expensive, but we'll see. Yeah, absolutely. Probably will be. Thanks very much, Adrian. Cheers. Cheers. Well, we've reached the end of the episode and I really hope that you've enjoyed it. I had great fun recording. It was excellent talking with Jeremy and learning all about those methods that they're using down at utopian for the great lagers that they're brewing there and also very interesting to chat with adrian as well and to have him co-host the episode thanks very much for listening don't forget to use that code on utopian 10 percent off beer prime all lowercase all one word and that gives you 10 percent off of their web shop uh, also, don't forget to follow me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Beer Prime UK on those. And of course, don't forget to follow Adrian as well. He's at ATJ Beer on Twitter and at ATNE Jones on Instagram. Also, if you're listening on a platform that allows you to give us a comment or a rating, then I would greatly appreciate that. And also subscribe to the platform that you're listening on. That would be great. And you'll get a notification as soon as a new episode drops. My guest in two weeks' time for the next episode is going to be legendary Leith Brewers, Pilot. Thanks again for listening.